August 2004. American tourist Marion Carver, 40, disappears from a cruise ship bound for Canada. The cruise liner does not report her disappearance within days of setting sail from Seattle, and her family are blocked from getting answers at every turn. Did Marion take the cruise to take her own life? Did she accidentally fall overboard? Or is something more sinister at play? Primary sources for this episode include J.H. Moncrief, The Charlie Project, International Cruise Victims and ABC News. Hi guys, welcome back to episode 113 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or have been murdered abroad. And if you don't like the podcast, don't listen. So I hope you've had a good week. Um, It's been around a week since we did the Julie Ward episode, so it's time for a new one. After this episode, I will most likely take a week off um, just because I'm not feeling the best with my Graves disease, but no one wants to hear about that, so (laughs) it's fine. Um, So I'm going to get straight into this episode, and I don't know if it will be as long as other ones, but I find it interesting. So I'm up to Patreon Alley. Now, when you become a patron, you get to choose a location for an upcoming episode. Um, And I reach out to you when you become a patron. That just made me think of something else. But I reached out to I've reached out to every single one asking what they'd like, what country they'd like. And so I've got everyone's planned out. You know, I've chosen one for the next, you know, 12 episodes, which are all Patreon location requests, and I'm getting through them as quickly as I can. So Ali said that she would like just any case that's on my list because she knows I've got a lot on my list. <laughs> so for this week, um, it's Patreon um, patron Ali from Ohio. Um, so thank you for letting me do any one of my own cases. Um, I immediately chose Marion Carver because I think there's a lot of kind of interesting things in this case. But I want to give a particular shout out to International Cruise Victims, which is an organization I have used before on this podcast because I think this is around the fourth or fifth cruise ship disappearance or murder or death that we've done on Unknown Passage. I've also throughout this episode referred to the testimony of Marion's dad, Kendall, who is also a major piece of this case that he presented before the US Senate's Surface Transportation and Merchant Marine Subcommittee in 2008. Um, So I'm going to get straight into this episode because it's a weird one. Marion Carver was 40 when she vanished on a seven-day cruise ship that was going between Seattle and Vancouver, Canada. It was around, on or around the 28th of August 2004. So we're going back pretty much just over 17 years ago. Marion's name isn't Marion, it's Marion, M-E-R-R-I-A-N. And I know that Trace Evidence um, with Stephen has done this, but I haven't listened to it. I may have at some point. I'm kind of um, not listening to much true crime at the moment to keep my stress levels down. Um, And also I like to do my own research with documents because I don't like plagiarism. (laughs) So Marion Lynn Carver was born on the 3rd of April, 1964. If alive today, she would be 57 years old. 
To describe Marianne, she's a very unique looking woman. She's got very um, sharp, striking features. She's got flaming red hair, um, hazel eyes. The Charlie Project has her at five foot seven and only a hundred pounds. So that's that's quite small. I know she had a close family, but there are things that I wish that I knew more about Marianne, um, like the marriage that had fallen apart a couple of years before she disappeared, her relationship with her daughter. Um, there's not a lot of mainstream media coverage of this. I could only find one article from ABC News in the States. It's mostly international cruise victims, which is very strongly linked to this case, which we will get into. While there is a lot of weirdness in this case and stuff that does require answering from the cruise line, it is the first case in a while where <clears throat> I feel like I may have an understanding of what happened. At the time of her disappearance, Marion was residing in Boston, Massachusetts. I don't know if that's where she was born or if she was raised, but I know that she was there and I know that her dad, who's a very central figure in this case, yet another example of an amazing dad, um, I know that he was quite a high up investment banker, CEO in Cambridge, Massachusetts. By day, Marion in her career was an investment banker like her dad was, but at the time of her disappearance, she was unemployed and living off a trust fund and her investments. This is according to J.H. Moncrief, who spoke to international cruise victims about this case. J.H., according to his website, is a true crime writer and filled in a lot of gaps for me that I couldn't find anywhere else. I don't know why she was unemployed, whether it was a mental health issue or anything like that. But she was living off a trust fund that I presume was set up for her by her parents and investments that she had made. So I'm not entirely sure if money was an issue for Marianne, even though she was unemployed. In her downtime, she loved writing poetry. Marianne had been married once before. I don't know for how long, but they had got divorced in the year 2000, about four years before Marion disappeared from this cruise ship. And she had just one child, which was her 13-year-old daughter. Now, sources differ on this, but I'm going with the one that's most quoted, especially by J.H. Moncrief. So in the divorce proceedings that had happened about three or four years before she disappeared, Marion had kind of, she'd lost custody from what I can find of her daughter, primary custody, because she had threatened to take her own life during the divorce proceedings. Divorces are one of the most stressful things you can go through. Um, and I'm sure this isn't news to a lot of people who have been through one. Um, and I'm glad that I haven't. So she lost custody of her daughter and from everything that I can find, her daughter was living with her father and they were living in England and I'm not sure if that's where he was from or they'd moved there for some reason, but she wasn't in the States at the time. So you've got to put yourself in Marion's position. She's unemployed, whether or not money is an issue, I don't think it would be, but she's lost, you know, her one child who she's a mum to her daughter and she would obviously miss her, you know, incredibly. And on top of that, she's on the other side of the Atlantic as well. Marion's dad is quite a central figure in this. He is just another example of just a fantastic father who does not suffer fools gladly. His name was Kendall Carver. So keep that in mind. Now, in August 
2004, Marion spontaneously decided to go on a seven-day cruise. And this is probably why I don't think that money is an issue because she can just up and go. She did not tell anyone, her daughter, her dad, anyone that she knew that she was going on this cruise and she booked the ticket on it just two days before it set sail. So Marion's living in Boston and it was setting sail from Seattle. So she's basically got to fly across the States west towards the Pacific. According to J.H. Moncrief, Marion had been known to make very sudden trips where she didn't tell anyone where she was going when she needed to quote unquote clear her head. So this isn't necessarily out of the blue for someone like Marion, but I'm not sure if he's relying on people saying that before she had a child because it changes things when, you know, you have a responsibility. But because the daughter's not living with her, that's kind of alleviated. So this trip was on the Mercury, which is the name of the ship. And it's one of a liner called Celebrity Cruises. Now, I had never heard of this. I presume in the States you guys have heard of it. It's actually a subsidiary now of Royal Caribbean, which we've discussed before. So the ship Mercury is owned by Celebrity Cruises, which in 1997, Celebrity Cruises merged with Royal Caribbean. So I'm just going to refer to them as a Royal Caribbean ship. According to shiptechnology.com, which I never thought I'd go on, the Mercury made its maiden voyage in 1997, and I'll read you the description of this ship. Quote, the ship had 935 luxury staterooms with 639 offering ocean views. 296 are inside staterooms. The average stateroom is 172 square feet. A digital telephone system is provided on board with 24 satellite channels for telephone calls ship to shore, shore to ship. The main features of the Mercury include the Manhattan restaurant, which is on two levels and is decorated in an art deco style, and the four-story grand foyer. The thousand-seat celebrity theatre is on two levels and features a computer-controlled laser effects system capable of generating as many as 16 million different colours. The Aqua Spa provides a therapy pool, sauna, massage room and beauty parlour. There are two outdoor swimming pools as well as one indoor and four whirlpools. Other facilities include Fortune's Casino, Cyberspace Video Games, Room, Rialto Gallery Shopping Centre and dedicated facilities for teenagers and children. So I just want to read that to you. That's the description of the Mercury now. Obviously it's had, I think 10 years ago it had a bit of a it was zhuzhed up a bit. <clears throat> so we've done a number of cruise cases on different liners, whether people have vanished off cruises or been found dead on them. I went back um, and looked at which ones we'd done. So the main ones were Tammy Grogan. She disappeared off a carnival cruise. Diane Brimble was found dead from a drug overdose on a P&O cruise. And the one that we discussed Royal Caribbean on was a very famous case, which you would know, the Amy Bradley case. Amy disappeared off the Rhapsodies of the Seas, which is one of Royal Caribbean's ships, in 1998, so about six years before Marion vanished. But that's not a celebrity cruise. So back to Marion. The cruise that she, out of the blue, booked herself on and flew with two days' notice out to Seattle started in Seattle. So the ship then 
carried on up the North Pacific. It made stops in Juneau, Alaska, Skagway and Ketchikan, Alaska. And then it continued up, went to British Columbia um, and ultimately it ended in Vancouver. You could do the whole trip up and then the return back down to Seattle and actually Marion booked herself on the return. The cruise that Marion was on was running for a week, August 27th to September 3rd. I obviously can't find the itinerary of this particular one because they change these schedules around and everything. Um, but you generally get day stops like we've talked about on previous episodes where you can go for a few hours and, you know, they stop in Juno and you're able to get off and stretch your legs and things like that. So Marion bought a round trip ticket but she told no one that she was going on this cruise. So she flew from Boston to Seattle and on August 27th, 2004, she boarded the celebrity cruise in Seattle. Now, as a woman, what Marion took has, there's a lot of warning bells. Even if you're a minimal packer, which I'm not, (laughs) um, I think even what she took seems minimal, even for the biggest minimalist. So, I'm going to read to you from J.H. Moncrief's website. So, quote, Marion bought two handbags but no suitcases on board. She had one pair of shoes and one dress, both of which were left in her room when she vanished, unquote. So I can't find how they would know that she only bought that, but I would have to presume um, that they weigh things when you get on. So she wouldn't have um, checked in a suitcase. They would know that. But I don't know how they would know that just one dress was missing unless, you know, her daughter knew her wardrobe really well and was able to tell them afterwards. But I actually do believe that this is the case. So it was one pair of shoes and one dress for basically 14 days, which seems (laughs) very minimal. So she checked into her room and I'm not sure if her room was an interior stateroom like I described. Most of them are exterior ones with balconies that look out to the sea. So you allocated a steward who looks after you during your cruise and her steward would be a man called Domingo Montero. He would only be outed as the man who was her steward years later in a civil case that would come up. He didn't do anything wrong. He's pretty much been cleared. He's never been a suspect as far as I can find. When he introduced himself to Marion and met her in her room, said, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. I'll be looking after you on this cruise. He said that she was relaxed and personable and it didn't seem like she was angry or upset or depressed or anything like that. So generally, like I've talked about on previous episodes, when you're on a cruise, This is what would scare me if I was alone on a cruise, having to go to the dining room and sit with random people that I didn't know, a lot of families and couples and things like that. And these big dinners that they have, a lot of them are themed or costumes and they have balls and things like that. And maybe Marion was just an introverted person who didn't, she wasn't interested in that kind of thing. So when Domingo, you know, saw her the first day on around August 27th. She told him that she was going to go upstairs later, whether that means she was going to get some food or go to one of the restaurants or the bars. But she told him that she didn't want to visit the dining room, which is where they would be having, you know, people get seated. You get a specific seat. So the following night, Domingo, 
again, was her steward. Um, and she said the same thing the following night, August 28th. She said that she didn't want to go to the dining room, but she might go upstairs later. Domingo suggested that she could get some room service delivered to her if she didn't feel comfortable going to the dining room. There's no evidence she ate for the whole 24 hours or more before that. And when she said, yeah, okay, he bought her two sandwiches at her request. This was the last known sighting of Marion Carver ever. The following morning, Domingo arrived at her room. They generally, you know, check if you're in there and then they can alert housekeeping to go and make your bed or change your bed, clean up the room. He noticed that her bed looked like it had not been slept in. And I don't know how he knows that, but I presume as a steward, he's got really high standards of how he makes beds and things like that. So I have to presume that he can tell the difference between if he's made the bed or housekeeping or if a random guest has made the bed. Now, all of Marion's things were left behind. And if you remember what I told you about her just bringing one dress and one pair of shoes, those were also in the room. There was also a manila envelope in the room. It had a pretty generous tip for her steward, Domingo, in it. Um, they also say that it had quote-unquote unknown contents, which we still don't know what those were. This was in the room. Um, and, yeah, her shoes and her only dress were in the room as well. And the shoes are the only pair of shoes she took on board as well. Now, one of the things that J.H. Moncrief and every other source states is that during these two days that she was on this cruise before she vanished, she never once used what's called the currency card. So you load this up with your money um, on it because there's no real cash on cruises and they, they charge a fortune for like a, a beer or something like that. But that's how you pay for things. This was never used, so I don't know how these sandwiches were paid for. Maybe she just, he'd added it to her bill to pay when she checked out. But at no point had she gone to a bar and used it, gone and got food and used it. So I think that's one big red flag because it would be likely that she would even buy a bottle of water or something like that. So Domingo Montero, to his credit, he did the right thing and he is nowhere near at fault for what happens. Immediately, he reported her missing to the higher-ups when she was not in the room and did not return to the room. He told his supervisors that this guest is missing. And every day for the rest of the cruise, which was five more days, he went to his supervisors and said, this woman is missing. And each time, the supervisors told him to forget it. One of the supervisors ordered him to, quote, do his job and forget it, unquote, which doesn't seem like he'd be doing his job if he just forgot it. So the next five days goes by. The cruise finishes up in Vancouver on September 3rd, 2004. There is no sign of Marianne. She has never returned post-August 28th to her room. All of her things were in her room, so it appears like she walked out naked of her room and disappeared off this ship. And there's still no sign of Marianne. So Domingo once again raises the concerns because he says to his supervisors, it's the end of the cruise and we have her belongings in her room. What do you want me to do with them? His supervisor tells him to put all of her belongings in a box and to bring them to the supervisor's office. No one secures the cabin, looks around the cabin, anything like that, contacts security or contacts police. 
cruise ships are not entitled to report crimes. This is one of the scary things about them and that people should be aware of. So the supervisor has all her belongings in the box. He puts all of these in his own locker on board the ship, except he doesn't put the clothes, the shoes and the dress that were with her belongings in the box in his locker. He then puts them in like a bag and gets someone to donate it to charity. So (laughs) they're just getting rid of her stuff. So some of it's in a box Some of it's immediately donated to charity. I don't know if that was the automatic thing that happened on board. According to some sources that I can read, people on cruise ships do regularly leave their stuff behind, but I don't think in this instance it's a normal thing. Um, I found one source that said that even Marion's gold watch had been left behind and this was also donated to charity, which I highly doubt that that supervisor allowed that to be donated to charity, if you get me. No one filed a police report. No one contacted Marion's family. No one contacted the FBI. No one did anything. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Marion's daughter, who was in England, was unable to get hold of her mum and was starting to panic. She called from England to Cambridge, Massachusetts, her grandfather, Kendall Carver, and he immediately knew something was wrong. They didn't even know where Marion was. They figured she was in Boston because she had never told anyone she was going on the cruise and that she was somewhere in the North Pacific Ocean up near Canada. So on September 7th, around 10 days after Marion was last heard from on board the ship, <coughs> Kendall Carver called the Cambridge, Massachusetts police. The detective took it on. He looked into her bank accounts and credit card records and that's when they realised that she'd gone on this cruise because the credit card record showed the ticket bought for this cruise two days before it set sail from Seattle. From then, they were able to contact Royal Caribbean, who the money had gone to, and that's when (laughs) a lot of fuckery goes down. The first thing that Kendall Carver did when he realised the last place his daughter had been was on a Royal Caribbean cruise between Washington and Canada was to call Royal Caribbean. So he called them up. He told them she was missing seemingly off this cruise to get back to him as soon as they could. It took three days for anyone to call him back. So that would have been the first red flag that he had. Then when they looked into Marion's booking... They told him that she had boarded the ship, but at some point during the seven-day cruise, she had disappeared from the ship. They said they had no way of knowing if she had disembarked in Canada because they didn't have records of that, which I find very strange because it's a different country. By the time all of this was happening, it was 26 days since Marion had last been seen on the ship. So regulation is what happens when someone disappears from a ship a cruise ship, is that the disappearance must immediately be reported to the ship's security office. But when Domingo went to his superiors or his supervisors, they were meant to report it to the security office and that had never happened. It took her father, Kendall Carver, to contact Royal Caribbean for them to even report it to their own security office. By this point, Kendall realised that most of the possessions that she'd taken on board, which was very few, had been donated to charity. And her purse, which had some computer disks, 
important papers and her keys had been put into storage. The employee, which is good to hear, the supervisor who had ignored Domingo and ordered her stuff to be donated and didn't report it, was ultimately fired. Um, But from what I can find, he immediately went on to get another job on another cruise ship. So no one's safe. When the FBI finally got involved in this case because it spanned two countries, it had been five weeks since Marion Carver had last been seen. From the time that Marion disappeared in August 2004 till today, Royal Caribbean's story has always been the same, that they don't know what happened to Marion and that it's not their problem. So one thing I've noticed since kind of researching cases that have taken place on cruise ships for the podcast is that American cruise ships, if something happens, you're in a bit of a quandary in terms of what's who's looking after it um, and what country. So American cruise ships sail under foreign flags. This is a way for them to circumvent certain laws and taxes. So when a crime takes place on a cruise ship, it doesn't even technically have to be reported to police in the nearest country. It's very rarely investigated properly, which you'll remember from the Diane Brimble case, them just packing up the crime scene and moving someone into it. Um, Every year, about 10 Americans disappear from cruise ships, whether that's because they've fallen over, which is quite hard to do these days um, with, you know, regulations they have to meet in terms of barriers and things like that, um, or in terms of committing suicide. Her father, Kendall, did not accept any of the stories that Royal Caribbean put out there, and he sought answers no matter what it took. He told ABC News, quote, It seemed like kind of a rather basic thing. If you put 2,000 people on a ship, you ought to know if 2,000 people got off the ship. They didn't know that. They couldn't tell us that, unquote. So the next thing, which is kind of obvious that he wanted to look at, was the security camera footage. It had been weeks, um, you know, probably a couple of months at this stage since the cruise that she'd disappeared on. But Kendall thought that they would still be in possession of this because as much as people disembark and go home and things, you know, they may report a theft later on that they have to refer to this security camera footage for. He was immediately told that the CCTV cameras on board the Celebrity Cruises Mercury ship that she was on automatically erase footage after only three days, which is terrible if that were true, but we will find out that that's a blatant lie because that would be incredibly stupid not to cover yourself for the length of these cruises. They would not release at the time the name of the steward, which was later on realised to be Domingo Montero. Ultimately, Kendall Carver hired a private investigator from a very large company. This is obviously an example of a family that had the means to be able to do this. A lot of them don't. But I think he's standing as a CEO of a quite big insurance company in Massachusetts gave him a bit more clout. So he he hired this private investigation company and they sent out an investigator to where the Mercury was at that time. And they were allowed to get on board the ship, 
but they were told that they could not speak to anyone who had been on the ship when Marianne disappeared. And that included the supervisor who was later fired. So he basically was able to go to Marianne's room that she had had, albeit people had stayed in it since then. He came back and said that the walk from Marianne's room to the nearest observation deck was quite a short walk. He said that the barriers, you know, um, along the observation deck, he said that she could have easily jumped or been pushed from this deck. They really weren't that high. And we've done this before on certain cases, you know, laws change and they have to make them higher. In January 2005, Kendall Carver finally got movement, albeit it had only been like six months. So he got things moving very quickly. He finally got two cruise ship employees to give sworn depositions. And one of them was Domingo Montero, the steward. This was when Kendall Carver and Marion's family realized that Domingo had tried to sound the alarm repeatedly for the remainder of Marion's cruise and that his supervisor had pretty much ignored him slash broken the law. The supervisor who ordered the actions to dispose of her belongings or to give them to charity or to store the rest, as I said, was ultimately stood down, but then someone else took him on because technically he wasn't totally at fault. He should have reported it to the security, um, but he didn't break any actual laws. Ultimately, he was so blocked from getting answers that Kendall, Marion's dad, was forced to file a civil lawsuit against Royal Caribbean to compel them to speak about what happened to his daughter. This went to trial in August 2005, which is pretty much exactly a year after Marion vanished, which I think is really, really quick. During this civil lawsuit, a security report was presented from Royal Caribbean on that particular cruise that pretty much showed that a cover-up had taken place in terms of nothing criminal, like doing something with Marion or hurting her or anything like that, but that the actions that were taken in terms of not reporting it and things like that had been their own kind of cover-up. Kendall Carver also learnt during this civil lawsuit that the surveillance footage story that he'd been told where they got rid of it after a few days, um, that wasn't true at all. They held on to it for one month. So essentially he had been lied to in his face. Um, I don't know if they still would have had that footage by the time he was trying to get it, but it was worth a shot. There still could have been, you know, some footage from the last time that Marion was seen. But Royal Caribbean decided to ramp up the character assassination on Marion. And this is what happens with these big companies. They're able to, in these lawsuits, get hold of, they're allowed to subpoena people from your past if you try to sue them or anything. They're allowed to look at your medical history, things like that. And they were able to draw on Marion's previous mental health battles um, as an example of why they believed that she killed herself on this cruise. During the trial, um, the cruise line released an official statement to the media and this statement said that Marion, quote, had severe emotional problems, had attempted suicide before and appears to have committed suicide on our ship, unquote. Now, that most of that is bullshit because they actually lied in the sense that Marion never attempted suicide before when her marriage was 
on the rocks and she was getting divorced. She threatened it, but that is different from attempting it. But clearly they were just trying to show the fact that she had pretty severe depression and things like that um, in order to win this case for themselves. And I kind of pretty much considering almost everyone is on antidepressants in this day and age, you know, um, they pretty much have something against all of us if they were able to dig around um, in your history. And, you know, it's really not fair. So good news, Kendall Carver won the civil lawsuit. It didn't bring Marion back. It didn't get the answers that he sought. And it barely put a dent, you know, in Royal Caribbean's kitty. Um, all told, he'd spent about $75,000 on his own investigation for the year after Marion vanished. And it came up with nothing. He still had no idea what happened to his daughter, but he did believe that Marion was deceased. I'm just going to play you a quick clip around that time um, of Kendall Carver being interviewed. Attractive, sophisticated uh, lady. Marion Carver had her own business, wrote poetry, and enjoyed traveling. In 2004, the 40-year-old boarded a cruise ship bound for Alaska and vanished. There's many different scenarios that I could go through uh, on what happened to Marine. The, the bottom line is we'll never know for sure what happened to Marine. Her father, Ken Carver, continues to search for answers and change. Deposed the steward to find out that he had reported our daughter missing daily for five days on that ship. And his supervisor told him forget it and do his job. They had not notified the FBI. They had not notified anybody. In fact, he says the cruise ship industry doesn't even have to report crimes ranging from theft to a disappearance. You can get the crime report for any location in the country by zip code, by name. You can't get that for cruise ships. Today, because of his persistence and passion, a bill is pending that would change the entire cruise ship industry involving any crime. This would make it mandatory that they immediately advise the FBI. Top national lawmakers are pushing for the move, and Carver wants you to be more aware. They don't realize when they get on these ships, they're going into a foreign country. He formed He's quite old there and his um, voice is, you know, um, cracking a little bit. So I have used a source called International Cruise Victims for pretty much all of the cases I've done that involve cruises. They basically document people who have vanished or been murdered um, on cruises. They show the public, you know, how many things can happen on cruises and the real toll um, in terms of um, crimes that take place on cruises. Um, and they pretty much have tabled quite a lot of legislation. I don't know if you call it that in the States, um, to put forward to Congress bills that would make it as that, um, clip from ABC stated mandatory for the crews to alert the FBI immediately if someone disappears, which should be a given. Um, and this group is called, um, international cruise victims. Now, I've quoted it before on the podcast, and actually, Kendall Carver created that in 2006, and I still refer to it in terms of finding documentation on certain cases um, all the time. So, as much as it sounds cliche, Marion's disappearance wasn't really in vain if it makes a difference to finding, you know, getting answers for someone else and whether or not it will, you know, help at all, um, someone else's family. So 
On J.H. Moncrief's website, uh, the blog that he wrote about this case, he worked alongside someone from International Cruise Victims. And there's just a line that I find very interesting, but it's not mentioned anywhere else. Um, And I can't obviously get hold of the whole civil case. It states, quote, a former crew member contacted Carver and told him that Marion had been having a relationship with another unidentified crew member, unquote. I find that very strange. Um, I don't know if they're trying to paint the theory that she was wanted to be near someone she was in a relationship with, so she went and on his cruise ship to keep an eye on him. Um, I just don't have enough information about that, but I would find that strange. And I can't verify the veracity of that statement, but this was just a lead that Ken Carver received through international cruise victims. In 2017, Kendall Carver received the Ronald Wilson Reagan Public Policy Award from the US Department of Justice for his work with international cruise victims. He died in December 2019. So RIP Ken Carver, another example of an incredible father talking. I think that's one of the most common threads other than people going missing or being murdered overseas. Incredible parents, in particular fathers, who won't let it go without a fight. According to ABC News, quote, Marion's last gift to her father was a picture frame that plays a recorded message that says, Hi, Daddy, this is Marion. Hope you're having a great day, unquote. And he used to play that all the time because that's where he had her voice. Now, on his blog, investigator J.H. Moncrief raises some important questions, which I too find very interesting. Now, he reiterates what is the rush? Why would she want to fly out so quickly when it leaves in two days? What was the rush? Why this particular cruise ship? Why such few belongings? One dress, one pair of shoes, no suitcases, only two handbags, um, everything left in her room. He cites the observation that if Marion left everything in her room, walked to the observation deck and jumped overboard to commit suicide, she would have been either naked, she probably would have been in her underwear to do that. And why would she do that? Um, and that is an interesting question because wearing more clothes would obviously weigh you down. Um, I, I guess if you're in a suicidal state, it doesn't have to make sense. Another question that he tables is if she planned on committing suicide, why the round trip ticket? I can probably answer that for you because I used to work in a travel agency when they were a thing because when you're entering a new country, you generally have to show proof that you're leaving it and you're not going to be staying there illegally. So if she was going to enter Canada, you have to prove that you're leaving. Um, If the manila envelope contained a suicide note, why didn't the cruise line release it since it would have proven their theory? Now, this is an interesting question and also a very interesting thing that I need to add to that. The manila envelope with its contents, whatever they were, including a tip for Domingo, her steward, went missing after her belongings were packed up in her room and moved. Some people think it was Domingo's supervisor that took them. I presume it was a pretty substantial tip. Why was she leaving it there two days into a seven-day trip? Um, Why didn't they release the contents of it if there was a suicide note in it? Terrible to think that there 
imagine there was a suicide note and someone just threw it out and it would have given her daughter some level of closure, as much as I hate that word. In recent years, there's been some reporting of bones being found on a Canadian island in the Pacific around BC. Um, It was speculation it was Marion, but there's never been any confirmation, never any DNA tests as far as I know. So now Massachusetts and Alaska authorities both have a hand in investigating Marion's case because she's from Mass, um, but she would have gone missing around when they entered Alaska, going up from Washington. Her case remains unsolved, but you can contact either. So you can contact the Cambridge, Massachusetts Police Department from within the states on 613-349-3211. I will put these up on her episode page on unknownpassagepodcast.com. You can also contact the Alaska Missing Persons Clearing House from within the states. It's 907 269 5058. Ken Carver died without not knowing what happened to his daughter and Marion's daughter never got answers either. And I guess she'd be around my age now. Um, I, if you're interested in knowing what I think, this has stood out to me from the time I read about it, probably three years ago, even before I started the podcast, um, as pretty much like a classic suicide. And I I can't, as much as I think that Royal Caribbean fucked it up, I think it's through laziness. Um, I don't generally attribute malice. Um, the speed at booking it, the impulsivity, um, she may have had borderline personality disorder. Um, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I have a fair bit of knowledge of it, um, impulsive decisions, people saying that she had done that before, um, a history of depression, mental illness, threatening suicide, um, booking the cruise two days before it happened, not telling anyone why, not taking anything with you like you're not intending on using it, not eating, not ordering food, um, which can be a symptom of depression. Just because Domingo didn't see any evidence of that doesn't mean anything. I've been able to put on a face, you know, like anyone else and people wouldn't have known how low I felt. Um, I think she probably committed suicide. Um, If all of her clothes were in her room, then she must have been in her underwear. I don't know why, but when you are that low, it doesn't always have to make sense. And I also find it interesting that they can confirm that she didn't have any other clothes with her. Although two handbags, you can't really get a whole lot in them. Um, That's kind of what I think. I don't know about this lead where she was having a relationship with someone on a cruise ship. That could have just been someone from the cruise ship diverting information to make it look like she, you know, killed herself over some sort of lover's spat. Um, Yeah, I just... Looking at her picture, that's that's what stands out to me and through everything. Um, I obviously could be wrong, don't know. All I can base it on is my history with depression um, and it would kind of sound like something I would do. <laughs> um, and I have taken trips without telling people and things like that. When you've got kids, though, that changes it. So in order to be out of contact with your kids 
and they can't contact you or find it, don't know where you are, it would have to be something very serious. Um, in terms of Royal Caribbean or celebrity cruises, they if they'd reported it straight away, we all know why they don't report it. It's because they're scared it will affect people who are on board their cruise experience. They don't want the FBI on board because I think we said this on a previous case, it like unnerves people. They said that in the Amy Bradley case, they didn't want them on board because people would start stressing that something was going on on the ship. They don't want to affect tourism. It's the same as every single episode I do on this podcast. The bottom line is more important than someone's life. Um, and the group is more important than one. And I think that's all it is. And I don't think it was a big sinister cover-up. I get the feeling that they had a idea that she had killed herself. Um, I'm interested to know if she had a balcony room. It looks like two-thirds of the rooms had a balcony outside. When they say that she would have gone to the observation deck to jump off the private investigator said she easily could have got over it. That's how low it was. Whether that's changed, I don't know. But J.H. Moncrieff says, well, she would have been in her underwear. But if it's four o'clock in the morning, there's not many people around, is there? So would anyone see? Um, I just think all of that points to, you know, one thing. And I'm interested to know what you guys think. Um, so I will add this episode page to unknownpassagepodcast.com. Become a patron, links off the website or on the Patreon app, search for Unknown Passage Podcast. Leave a rating or review if you like the show. This show is not for everyone, um, but I'm not going to apologize for that. If you have an idea for your own, go ahead and do that. Um, but I am just me and I am just talking to my phone um, in a place alone, um, in a lockdown that's the longest in the world, often feeling extremely depressed um, and if you want to contribute to making that worse, um, that's entirely up to you. But I don't want to use like a Alan disingenuous quote, but choose kindness, be kind. Um, you don't know what people are going through. Um, join the Telegram, message me for an invite, um, generally just for patrons though. Um, one-off donations to the podcast are greatly appreciated at the moment. Believe me, it's, um, it's the... PayPal, it's the email, so unknownpassagepodcast at gmail.com. Um, try not to get, send case suggestions through at the moment because I just got too many Patreon location requests and things like that. I'll probably take next week off. Um, again, like I've said on a previous episode, if I don't write back to you immediately in Patreon, email, whatever, I will eventually. I'm just trying to spend less time online. Um, I've started watching Better Call Saul because I'm such a Breaking Bad fan and it took me such a long time to want to watch Better Call Saul. I never even watched El Camino because I didn't want to, I don't like spin-offs of shows, but I love Saul and I love Bob Odenkirk. So I decided to start watching it. Um, and I, I, I've never got so far into a show. I'm on season three, halfway through. I've never got so far into a show and still not been sure if I love it or hate it. I'm just kind of got it on in the background, just watching it. Um, it's nothing like Breaking Bad at all. <laughs> There's high notes. Um, Mike, best character of both shows, I reckon. Um, I'm purely watching it, I think, for Mike's storyline. But I was just thinking of it because Saul's brother in it, he's played by quite a well-known guy. I can't think of what his name is. 
he's allergic to electricity in the show. And if he's around electricity, like he can barely leave his house because there is like a thing where it just like, it, it just attacks your whole body. And it's like sends you into fits and things because you're so highly susceptible to electricity and you kind of phones around you and things like that. And I was watching Better Call Saul thinking, oh, this is the minute I pick up my phone, my heart starts thudding um, and I feel like sick on top of how I already feel. Um, I may appear confident and stuff like that. Um, That's taken a long time to even be able to pretend to be confident. Um, since I was about four years old, I was bullied really badly in school, um, called a fat bitch, um, because I was quite tall and quite big, um, called all kinds of things. Um, and I've had really low points. I've been on antidepressants for a very long time to take the edge off how I was feeling. I've had good times. I've had some very bad ones in particular over the last five to seven years. Um, So these are all things that you don't know about people when you're hearing their voice. You may hate me and think I ramble and things like that, um, but I'm just talking to myself because I'm in lockdown for the last 300 days in Melbourne um, and there's I live by myself and there's no one to talk to. So sometimes when I ramble, I haven't spoken out loud for three, four days. Um, So yeah, you never know what's going on inside. And I think this is important to say on Marion Carver's episode. Um, so yeah, if you don't like it, you don't like my tone, you don't like me, you don't like my accent, that's a real thing. <laughs> um, just, you know, you don't have to listen to it. I've really minimized the podcast that I listen to, not because I hate people who do it. I never leave bad reviews ever, whether it's a shop, a brand, an order I get. Um, I believe that everybody is doing something for the bottom line to get paid, um, to be able to put food on their table. That's what I'm doing at the moment with this podcast, albeit it's just a few dollars. Um, I just wanted to really say all that because when I've been at my lowest, when I was hospitalized and suicidal um, about six years ago, people could not believe it because I put my makeup on every day. I put my heels on every day. I went to work and I would come home um, and let's just say it wasn't good. So yeah. Yeah. I am looking for podcast recommendations, maybe not true crime um, because I'm trying to keep my levels low. I'm listening to a really good book at the moment by Dr. Joe Dispenza called Evolve Your Brain. Um, and I'm trying to listen to it in order to, in a really like kind of roundabout way. I'm trying to heal um, my illness with my Graves disease in a way I'm going to try to stress less um, because that doesn't help anything. And I always live in very high stress high levels of stress. Um, I, I don't have really any money at the moment. Um, buying basics is, is hard. Um, I look at myself and I don't like myself. Um, I listen to myself and I don't like myself. And then people write reviews. Um, and but I, I then don't like myself. So I'm trying to think positive things because I don't think that I I honestly think that stress has caused my thyroid issue um 
And I'm trying to undo a lot of that. Yeah. (laughs) And I just wanted to kind of be open about that on this because it appears like I'm confident um, and I'm happy. My name means happiness, Felicity. Um, But a lot of the time that's not the case. And I'm lucky that I'm quite a resilient person and I'm able to pick myself up again. Um, But don't be that person that when times are tough, kicks the shit out of someone on the ground um, who's opened up to you, told you personal things about their family, their struggles, um, doesn't like doing videos online because they don't like themselves and things like that. Um, Choose to be kind because the world's fucked and the difference is that we can be good to each other and make someone else's day. So give someone a compliment, buy someone some flowers, tell someone a good memory that you've got of them from when you were growing up. And yeah, just try to make a difference to someone's day because Marianne may not have had that and a lot of people don't have that. So yeah, I will probably take a week off. need to rest my voice. I'll be back um, next week, I'll probably the week after, I'll probably um have finished Better Call Saul. Um, does it get better? Can someone tell me? Because <laughs> um, it's there's just not. I've never said this in my life. There's not enough violence in this show. <laughs> it's too legal. Um, so yeah, recommend some similar stuff to me. I love Jonathan Banks, Mike in this. He's worth sticking around for. Um, recommend some movies, things like that. I'm kind of adding a list together. Looks like we won't be out of lockdown until December. If people think that's acceptable, I don't know what to tell you. This has been since March last year. Most people are barely holding it together. Um, thinking of the people who have committed suicide over the last 18 months, whether it's in Melbourne or across the world. Um, yeah. And I will talk to you soon. I hope that you don't walk away thinking, why did she say all that? But I think it's important because all I see is nastiness all the time. I went out before cars. It was like a fucking action movie. Cars, people screaming at each other from cars, people fighting in the street. I don't know if it's like a full moon. I don't know if it's Mercury retrograde, but people are getting more and more tense. People are getting more and more. It's like dawn of the dead out there. Um, and I wish that more people would just be, you know, really nice. So I will talk to you then. If I don't get back to you immediately, I will. Just bear with me. Um, Thank you for everyone who leaves nice reviews or sends case suggestions or nice emails, things like that, patrons. Um, I'm trying not to cut my own hair again um, because it's not good. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye.